If you listen to most conversations, it's obvious the person's not thinking or they would never say what they're saying. Or if you stand back and observe their behavior, they would never do what they were doing if they were thinking. So I think, you know, the greatest problem today is just recognizing that we are being controlled by ideas that are somebody else's ideas. They're certainly not ours. I think it's our responsibility to recognize that and break out of it. Hey everyone, welcome back to On Purpose, the number one health podcast in the world. Thanks to each and every single one of you that come back every week to listen, learn, and grow. Now, one of my favorite things I'm seeing at the moment is reading all of your incredible reviews on our podcast every week. Thank you so much for leaving them. They make a big difference to our podcast. Now, today's guest is someone that I've been excited to speak to for a long time. You may have heard his incredible videos on YouTube you may have even done some of his amazing programs. And whether you have or haven't heard of him, I'd love to tell you a bit about him. Today's guest is none other than Bob Proctor. He's the New York Times bestselling author of You Were Born Rich, an internationally acclaimed speaker and a motivational coach. He's devoted his entire life to helping others reach their goals and realize their full potential. Bob currently offers countless programs to transform individual lives through the Proctor Gallagher Institute. Welcome to the show, Bob Proctor. Bob, thank you so much for doing this. My pleasure, James. Glad to be here. Absolutely. It's uh, wonderful to finally be with you. I've watched your videos for a long time and uh, come across your work. And as I was saying that to you before, you, you said to me, Jay, I've been around for a long time. I've always valued the insights and wisdom for people who've seen there, been there, done a lot of things. What's the biggest lesson that you learned in the last 12 months that maybe you haven't learned in your life? I think I'm becoming more familiar with the importance of the internet over the past 12 months. I sometimes feel like I was guided, Jay. I built a studio it's actually a small TV station. Now I say that because I had a couple of people from a TV station in the studio and I said, it's sort of like a TV station. They said, no, Bob, it is a TV station. We have multiple cameras here. We uh, have our own editing. We can broadcast all over the world from here. It's really well put together. And I think the thing I've learned over the past year is that you have to learn how to communicate through different mediums or you're gonna go out of business, in our business anyway. And we have been exceptionally well set up for this situation that we're all experiencing in the world today, you know? As a result, we're able to reach a lot of people and help a lot of people. And a lot of people need help today. There's a, a lot of mental nonsense going on in, in the minds of masses that um, they've never faced before. A lot of people need a lot of help. And that's what we're trying to provide. What do you think's changed, Bob, when, since when you first started supporting and helping people and now you continue to do your work so effectively? How have people's challenges evolved? And do you see it as being the root cause being the same? Or, or have we drastically changed in the pain we experience? No, I think the root cause is much the same. I think it's the programming, it's the paradigms. Culture is a paradigm. Countries have paradigms. Companies have paradigms. And of course, individuals have paradigms. And those paradigms are um, very deep rooted and they really control us. And the bizarre part of the whole thing is that we didn't write the code <laughs> for the program that's controlling our life. Someone else did. 
and someone that was not very well read at all. We have a program in our subconscious mind, much the same as the programs in the computer. And that program in our subconscious mind controls our behavior. And for the most part, in 90 some, 90 high percent of the cases, the program was written by people who were totally ignorant as to what they were doing. They had no idea what they were doing. And that is a very difficult thing to change. You don't just haul it out like you would out of your computer. It, it really has to be altered and has to be changed. And um, it takes a respectable understanding to do that. It takes a lot of discipline, which is the probable reason so few people do change very much in their whole life. You know, and it's rather sad because, like, as I always believe, we're God's highest form of creation. We're all exactly the same. I don't care where you're from or how you think you're different. We're really not any different. We're really all the same. The mind operates. First of all, there's only one mind. I think that's where we should probably look. And we're all an expression of that mind. And I see mind as a, a movement, not a thing. And we're an expression of that movement. So I think there's a, a tremendous educational job has to be done. And the educational institutions that are set up in the world are not doing it. And they've never done it properly. I think what they've done is add to the the problem that exists, you know. I was watching a video of you. One of the series you post on your YouTube channel is From the Vault, where you shared these older videos of you speaking many years back. Oh, yeah. And in one of them, you were talking about how when you were shared, this wisdom was shared with you that if you didn't like the results, you had to change what you were doing and who you were. And you said that that starts with self-study. And what you were just speaking about right now, you were just saying that the code and the pattern that we're all following, we didn't even program it ourselves. How does someone start self-study? Because I feel like people are trying to read books and they're watching videos and they're listening to a podcast. What is the real journey of starting self-study? I think there's a lot of people trying to study this and they're going about it the wrong way. I think there's a lot of people writing books that really don't understand what they're saying. Their understanding is very shallow. I think the secret to understanding how to really get to know ourselves, we have to go to people that have demonstrated by results they really know what they're talking about. Like I always say that 80% of the people that are teaching have never done what they're teaching. And if you haven't done it, I don't think you really understand it. So it's not what do you know, it's what do you do? And for years, companies were paying people based on what they thought they knew. It was gone by a degree. And the degree didn't indicate they knew anything at all. It meant they'd gathered information. But I think we have to go by what they do. I was very fortunate when I started to study. The first man that helped me, the first person that helped me was a man. And he's the one that introduced me to this book. This I've got to help with an elastic now. It's Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. And he knew what he was talking about. And he said, if you do exactly what I tell you, you can have anything you want. Well, I didn't believe that. But I believed he believed it. And he did. And he did know what he was talking about. So I was, I feel I was particularly fortunate in that I met someone like that 
And I think probably it was an unconscious thing in the beginning. If I followed anyone from then on, I looked what they were doing before I started to listen to them. I looked at their results before I started to pay attention to them. And that has been sort of a a guiding principle in my life. I believe if you want to learn something, you have to go to someone that knows more than you do. And that's really what I've done. And I've had five or six people that I've followed over the past 60 years. It's been 60 years since I started to study this. I followed that principle, and I think it's a, it was a good, sound principle to follow. Yeah, I think it's a brilliant principle. I, I can relate to it in my life. Mentors and coaches have been an incredible part of my life. My, my journey to becoming a monk for three years as I lived as a monk, mostly in India, that decision was made on the basis that I met a monk who I could see was living by the principles that he was speaking about. Yeah. So I can relate very strongly to what you're saying. How does someone seek out the teachers, the coaches, the mentors, the books, the guides that they really want in their life? When you read that book, obviously many people have read that book and many people speak highly of that book, but there's a difference between knowing, reading, and then doing and knowing, reading, and applying. How did you read it in a way that you started to apply what you were learning? Because you didn't meet Napoleon Hill, uh, but it still had a profound impact on you. See, here's the book. (laughs) It's falling apart. I didn't read it. I keep reading it. It isn't Mm -hmm. something I read. I'm reading it. I read it every day. Now, that was a commitment that I made on the 21st of October, 1961. Ray Stanford said, if you read that every day, do what I tell you. He said, you have anything you want. Well, of course, I didn't believe that, and I said I would do it. And I don't know why I did it, because I never did anything that I said I would do up to that point. My word wasn't worth anything. If I said I'd do something, well, probably I wouldn't do it. But for this, I don't know why. And I... I started and I've never stopped reading it. And I think we're programmed the wrong way. Like I have a great library of books here in the studio. I have one in the house. I learned a lesson from Earl Nightingale. I have here a book holder. It holds a book open on my desk. Earl Nightingale had one sitting on his desk. The first time I met him, it was in 1966. And I spent an hour with him. I asked him, I said, what is that on his desk? He says, what is what? He says, I pointed to him. Well, he says, a book holder. Hold my book open. And I said, why Why do you have it like that? He says, well, I, he smiled. He said, I'm, I'm going to read that until I understand it. He said, what, the book? No, he said, that page. And I questioned him. I said, what, what do you mean? He, he quoted something. He said, no amount of reading or memorizing is going to make you successful. It's the understanding and application of wise thoughts that really count. Mm-hmm. So he said, I learned a long time ago that if I kept reading the same thing, I would start to understand and I would start to apply it. I uh, immediately started to look for a book holder. <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, the secret is to read the same thing over and over and over again. This is a page that was written probably around 1920. It's by Thomas Troward. I don't know if you're familiar with him. He was a great author. It's the creative process in the individual. Starts out, it says, an old saying that order is heaven's first law. And she said, if that's the only thing I read, what does that really mean? You know? Yeah. So I learned a long time ago that if you want to learn, you've got to understand what it is you're reading, and you've got to apply it. 
And the proof is in the pudding. Is the, are the results there? And if the results aren't there, then you really haven't learned anything. You've got to change the results. By their fruit shall know them. I think Jesus said that. I could be wrong, and I'm, somebody else might have said it. And, but that was good advice. By their fruit shall know them. You can tell by the results they're getting whether they know what they're talking about. I think the trick is to keep reading it over and over and over. Repetition is the first law of reading. That's how we became programmed. It was repetition. First of all, we're programmed genetically. Mom's DNA and dad DNA came together and that formed the nucleus of us. And 280 days later, then we made our debut on the planet and the programming then continued by the environment that we're surrounded by. If you take a look at the results, you know, and almost all welfare recipients are third, fourth, fifth generation welfare recipients. And it continues until someone breaks out of that, mm. which takes a fair amount of strength and understanding and probably criticism. Yeah, I'm so happy that you've brought up this really powerful point of repetition because I think our programming is to always seek something new and to seek something fresh and to try something new. But the repetition, I, I remember, and I say this often, that at one point in my life, I would listen to Steve Jobs' Stanford commencement speech every single day. And I listened to it every day for about nine months in a row, where not only did I know the words off by heart, but the words had a chance to actually penetrate through to my heart. And I genuinely believe that that changed so much of my programming because the words in that speech are just absolutely phenomenal and powerful coming from someone who had such a big influence. And I completely agree with you that whether it's that reading a line, and I love reading too, but in that case, it was listening. It was hearing someone say it repetitively every single day. And it just really moved my life in such a powerful way. So I'm so glad that you, you raised that well, point. You know, something you just said is very important. The repetition you were saying, listening and hearing, listening and hearing, of course, are two different things. We uh, hear with our ears. We listen with our emotions. There's an enormous difference in the two. We can be hearing all kinds of stuff, but not listening to it. A person can be talking to us. We can hear them, but not listen to them. And the trick is to listen to something. And it's through the repetition and the listening and the listening that would have impacted your life tremendously, mm -hmm. listening to it that long. Yes. Thank you so much for clearing up that distinction. I, I think you're spot on that they, they are completely different things. What's, what's the programming, Bob, do you find today is the biggest block? What's the paradigm that's the biggest block in people's minds and lives today that if someone's listening or watching right now that they should be aware of and start to work through? First of all, I don't think many people understand what a paradigm is. And then when they do understand what it is, it takes them a respectable amount of time to try and understand what their own paradigm is and then how to change it. Like I'm frequently asked, how do you recognize your paradigm? Well, the best way to recognize your paradigm, possibly the only way, is to really observe your own performance, your own behavioral patterns, your own thought patterns, how you meet and greet, and how you treat people, how you treat situations, your reactor, you respond to situations. Our behavior is controlled to 
an enormous degree by our paradigm. Our paradigm I see as a, a multitude of concepts that are fixed in our subconscious mind that control almost all of our habitual behavior. And almost all of our behavior is habitual. So it's almost all the person's behavior is controlled by their paradigm. And if they start to pay attention to it and ask themselves, why am I doing this? Why do you do this? Why do I do this? We're doing things that don't produce results, but we keep doing them. And sometimes they do produce results we don't want, but we keep doing it. And people have got to think. You know, I listened to Earl Nightingale's recording, the same as you listen to Steve Jobs' speech. Are you familiar with Earl Nightingale's Strangest Secret record? It's such a magnificent. No, oh, not oh, that specifically. It's 40 minutes of the best philosophy that you'll hear. And right in the beginning, he quotes Albert Schweitzer being interviewed by a reporter in London. And I asked, what's wrong with man today? And he thought about it for a while. And he says, man simply doesn't think. And I believe that's true. If you listen to most conversations, it's obvious the person's not thinking or they would never say what they're saying. Or if you stand back and observe their behavior, they would never do what they're doing if they were thinking. So I think, you know, the greatest problem today is just recognizing that we are being controlled by ideas that are somebody else's ideas. They're certainly not ours. I think it's our responsibility to recognize that and break out of it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. See, I think I am a soul. I don't think I have a soul. And I think the soul is perfect. And that perfection is forever seeking expression with and through me. And so it's essential that I recognize what I'm doing and, and attempt to improve my own performance, my own behavior, and my own awareness, because awareness is all there is. And I believe your purpose in life and my purpose is the same as God's purpose. It's become aware of why we're here. And we're forever seeking a greater awareness. And of course, as we develop it, we show it in our results. Like I always say, a person doesn't earn $100,000 a year because they want 100 a year. They're earning 100 a year because they're not aware of how to earn 100 a month. People are not alone and lonely because they want to be alone and lonely. They're alone and lonely because they're not aware of how to develop meaningful relationships. People don't live in sick bodies because they enjoy it. They live in sick bodies because they're not aware of how to maintain health in their body. So awareness is really the key. And the paradigm is blocking that. I think the, the paradigm blocks our growth and our level of awareness. We're, we learn the wrong thing. Like we're taught, you know, read the book, put it away, get the next book, read that book, put it away. And they ask you questions. You know it? Yeah, he knows it. You know, and the next question, they don't know anything. They've read all these books, but their behavior would indicate they've never read anything. No, I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think using your language of paradigm, when, when I started to understand the habits and the conditionings that, that I had and, and still have, as you said, it's an ongoing process. You always become more and more aware of what's blocking the full expression of the soul because the soul's trying to express itself, but it's covered over by all of these other conditionings and paradigms. Viruses. That, <laughs> sorry, viruses? Yeah, viruses. Yeah, exactly. That, that you can't really access the true power of the soul no. or the true presence of the soul mm -hmm. because you're, you're covered over. In the, in the tradition that I studied living as a monk, it was always described as 
a mirror with lots of dust on it. So when you try to clean the mirror of the dust, the dust first comes in your face and it irritates you because it's like that virus you just mentioned. How do we keep positive and motivated in the journey of cleansing our paradigms towards our soul? How do you keep a sustained level of enthusiasm in this journey that actually requires quite a lot of profound internal work? I think you said the right word there in enthusiasm. I think people are looking for excitement. (laughs) Yeah, very well said. And there's quite a big difference. Absolutely. I've always pointed out when you see a person that gets excited when something good happens, you're going to see somebody gets depressed when something bad happens. And there's a great lesson in that. But rather than getting excited, we should get enthused. We want to look where enthusiasm comes from. It comes from in theos, which is in spirit. And everything just is. And if we can look at it, it just is. It's neither good nor bad. It just is. We're not going to get excited. We'll get enthused. And if we look at the negative, it just is. It's not going to depress us because it just is. So I think the trick there is to understand the difference between enthusiasm and excitement. And how do you maintain the enthusiasm? I think The only way to maintain it is to continually study who you are. Mm. Never stop studying. Now, I don't think you just sit and study, do nothing else. You have to study, you have to study, understand, and you have to apply it. So it all Mm. comes out in results. Now, I have found a great way to measure results is in money. You can measure it to the penny. People say happiness or health. You can't measure a person's happiness. And you cannot measure their health. You can go and you can have a checkup and they'll say, guy's in perfect health. He walks out of the doctor's office, a bang, he drops dead. He wasn't in perfect health at all. It appeared he was. And But in earning money, you provide service. But you got to control the money. You don't let the money control you. If you fall in love with the idea of providing service and it's in a profit-making way, you can earn a lot of money. Well, then you can put that money to work to do great things with. And that's sort of the path I'm on. Like my partner and I, we build schools over in Africa. And we do them through um, Cynthia Kersey out there in Los Angeles. She's the Unstoppable Foundation. We take a lot of joy in that. We have people from the company go over and see the work that we're doing, you know, that they're contributing to. You've got to keep checking your results and you have to keep raising your own level of awareness. And the only way to do that is to continually study. But control your life. Don't let life control you. So you're living from the inside out, which sounds very esoteric or philosophical, but it's the only way I can explain it because that's really what you're doing. See, when you talk about money, Bob, you know, I, I feel aligned with that too. The idea of, I grew up in a mindset of where I often thought that, you know, money was the root of all evil or that money meant someone had to do something negative to get it, or you always had just enough to survive. And I find that we still see that paradigm existing in society. But see, when you talk about money, and even when I learned with the monks where we really understood the value of money, you see it as a as an energy source of service. You see exactly it as- what an, it is. Yeah, exactly. You see it as an energy source of service, of helping, of giving, of providing. Tell us about that mental shift that's made because I feel that you're obviously a teacher in the law of attraction and, and you know, popularized and shared that concept. 
How about when, what are some of the myths with the law of attraction when it comes to money? Because I find that there are a lot of uh, misuses or misapplications of the law of attraction when it comes to money. Oh, listen, when it comes to law of attraction, it's almost synonymous with ignorance. Hardly, hardly anybody understands the law of attraction. The secret, of course, really blew up the law of attraction in a big way, caused a lot of people to think about it, but we didn't explain it properly on that movie, didn't get into it in depth. And most people don't know how to get into it in depth. Attraction, it's a secondary law. It isn't a primary law. The primary law is the law of vibration. And the law of vibration decrees that everything moves, nothing rests. We live in a notion of motion. Circulation being one of the first laws in the universe. When stuff, when circulation stops, death sets in. Well, we operate on a frequency. You do, I do. And what we're really attempting to do is raise the frequency that we're operating on. We want to operate on a higher frequency all the time because that's where the real beauty of life is. Well, this thing we're living in is a molecular structure in a very high speed of vibration. And the brain is an electronic switching station that alters the vibration we're in. Well, we operate on a frequency, and the only thing we can attract to us is that which is in resonance with us. So the reaction is actually attraction. It's like Emerson said, the law of cause and effect was the law of laws. Action, reaction is the law of cause and effect. Well, our thoughts, feelings, and actions, we send off into the universe. It's a vibration. The universe sends it back. It responds in like manner. Well, the response of the universe is the attraction. You can only attract to you what vibrates in harmony with you. So if we see things coming into our life that we don't like, let's understand what we don't like is in harmony with something inside. So we better try and understand what it was or what it is, get rid of it. Attraction's a secondary law, and we've got to understand it is very real, and you only attract to you what you're in harmony with. When you want something that's on a higher frequency, you've got to operate on that higher frequency because all the thoughts and things that you require are on that higher frequency. Most people, I say, are living on an AM frequency trying to listen to FM music. It doesn't work. How, how do you know what vibration or frequency level you're operating at? Because people often judge their, people judge their performance by their productivity by their efficiency. We're not trained, as you said, with your paradigm, again, going back to that, we're not trained to observe our frequency and vibration and people are not sure. So if someone's listening and watching us today, how do they know what their vibration or their frequency is? How do they diagnose that? Well, I think the only way to do it is by the results you're getting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It'll tell you. Right, makes if sense. Uh, the, see, the results do tell the truth. They yeah. don't lie. Spirit manifests through its polar opposite, always. We're spiritual beings. Spirit flows to and through us. And we'll do anything for us. Whatever we ask, it'll give us. And we're asking in thought. So what we want to do is take a look. What have I been thinking? Take a look at your results. You'll know what you're thinking. That's how you can tell the frequency you're on. You want to start 
Frequencies, vibration, vibrations, feeling. When you say, I feel bad, what you're really saying is, I'm not in a very good vibration. You say, mm -hmm. I feel particularly good. You're saying, I'm in a pretty good vibration. Conscious awareness of vibration is referred to as feeling. Mm. So I think the way to really understand the frequency and the vibrations you're operating on is by the results you're getting. Yeah. And if you're continually having problems in all areas of your life, you're on the wrong, you're in the wrong vibration, you know, very low level of vibration. And we can change it. Now, I teach that in the seminars. I have ways of illustrating it and everything. It's important. And, and as people get into it, they really like it. See, I think when you hear the truth, you'll know it. And I came across, I don't know, it came to me, I guess. I was searching for a way how to explain that. When you hear the truth, you'll know it. Well, there's music in this room right now. There's music in your room. You may not hear it, but we know it's here. It's being broadcast and it's in the room. And we don't hear it because our ears are not operating on the frequency the music is being broadcast on. But if we turned on a radio, the radio picks up on that frequency, speeds it up, zippo, way up onto a higher frequency, and we can hear it. Well, it's the receiver on the radio that picks it up, sends it up on a higher level where you hear it. When you hear the truth, the truth resonates with the essence of who you are. And when it resonates, it sets up that vibration. It comes out on the conscious level as knowing. You just know. You just know that's right. Yeah. When you hear the truth, you'll know. I know it. That's true. Mm. Well, that's true when you're reading something. When a person says something to you, you hear it and you just, I know that's not true. I know that is true. It resonates with the essence of we, there is perfection. Our spiritual DNA is perfect. And when we hear the truth, it's like that's the receiver and it clicks in, you know. Yeah. We're pretty fascinating expressions of life, you and I and everybody else. I mean, the beautiful part is, like I've studied this like a scientist, probably more serious as the time goes on, but for 60 years, starting on the 21st of this past October, this is my 60th year, and I study this every day. I mean, this is, I'm obsessed with this. And at one time that bothered me. Uh, it doesn't anymore. And so I, I just don't stop studying it. And it's so beautiful. Mm -hmm. Bring that, that other thing up. It said it bothered me. I used to think you hear things and you think they're positive or negative. I hear obsession. I thought that was negative. Somebody told me I was obsessed with something or I thought I was obsessed. But then I got a hold of Lloyd C. Douglas's book, The Magnificent Obsession. And I, I thought, how could it be negative? It's magnificent, you know? Yeah. So I got the dictionary out and I looked the word up. I don't know why I hadn't done it before that. And it says an obsession is the persistent, disturbing preoccupation with an often unreasonable idea. It's yeah. a magnificent definition. And I'm obsessed with a beautiful concept. Mm. Who am I? <laughs> that's, that's the obsession, you know? Yeah. It's a great obsession. It's the beginning of all knowledge, right? It's the seed of all knowledge. Like everything starts from that. It's true. Uh, everything starts from that question. Yeah. Uh, and and it's it's yeah, it's the beginning of all knowledge and and seeking of of true knowledge. I loved what you said about the truth always resonating. Tell us a bit about Bob around the applying the law of attraction to to love in our lives, because I find that one of the biggest paradigm blocks that a lot of 
us have, and I know a lot of my listeners feel challenged with, is the finding of love, the keeping of love, the uh, growing of love in a relationship with another person. Uh, it can be one of the biggest challenges. As you said, our spiritual DNA is perfect, but our material experiences in DNA comes with baggage and pain and stress. And we end up attracting or vibrating at a level where we attract something that that actually is what we need at the time, but isn't what we really truly want. Tell me a bit about your experience in that area and your field or study in that area. I think that love is resonance. When two people are in love, they're on the same frequency intellectually, emotionally, and physically. Mm -hmm. Most people that get married are not in love. They're in habit or that stay married are not in love. When two people are in love, they enjoy thinking about the same ideas. Conscious mind deals with ideas. They get emotionally involved with the same ideas, so they're setting up the same vibrations. Their heart is on the same frequency. And physically, they enjoy doing the same things. They have a great physical connection. That's when two people are in love. They're in harmony intellectually, emotionally, and physically. You can fall in love with your business. I'm in love with the business that I'm in. Intellectually, emotionally, and physically, I'm in it right up to here, you know. <laughs> So that's where I see love comes in. I think I don't think most people are, that are married are in love. I think um, they see each other and he thinks, God, she looks pretty good and she thinks he looks pretty good. And they go to bed and they go to heaven for 15 minutes and they say, we're in love. Well, they were actually having some fun, but they weren't in love. But they thought they were and so they get married and they have nothing in common really. And um, some of them will give the marriage a quiet funeral and get on with life and others will just stay there and live like that, but there isn't any love. There may be respect and things like that. But I see love as when it's harmony, it's resonance. You can love a person, you can love an idea, you can love a vocation, you can love a place, you know. It's like Paul the Apostle, he said, the greatest thing is love, and he's so right. Well, that's when everything, you're in harmony with everything in all aspects of your life. Mm. It's and pretty well the way I'm living. Now, it's taken me 87 years to get here, but, you know, but life's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I can tell. I, I, I feel it from the way you speak. It's it's definitely there, which is beautiful. Where Where does anyone who's listening to us today, Bob, will definitely feel inspired and moved what, what would you want someone to do straight after they stop listening to this episode as they go back into their own life after listening to you today? What do you want them to do? What do you, who, do the, who do you want them to be? What, where would you like them to start? I'd like to ask them to ask themselves, what do I really want in this life? What do I really want? And take a pen and write it down. What do I really want in this life? They might start out, what do I love doing? I think that's where you start your purpose in life, is what do you love? I'm living my purpose. See, your purpose is why you're alive, why you get out of bed in the morning. And some people never figure that out. They never even give it any thought. When it's probably the most important question a person can ask themselves. If you start out, what do I really love doing? That's a good place to start. Do you know, I had a, a doctor here, oh, probably a couple of years ago now in Phoenix, he was in a seminar and he said, um, 
he was telling me he was thinking of quitting the medical profession. I said, why are you going to quit? Well, he said, you got to put in a lot more time to earn less money today. And I said, well, I've heard that. He said, the medical profession is all messed up. And I said, well, I've heard that too. I said, why did you become a doctor? Well, he said, I love it. I said, why would you want to quit? Well, he said, because you can't earn. I said, wait a minute. I said, if you're doing what you love, if you never earned a dime, you're spending your days doing what you love to do. That's the trick of life. I said, your problem is you think you earn money by going to work. You work to earn money. You don't work to earn money. The people that earn the most money don't work at all. You earn money by providing service, but you gain satisfaction from doing what you love. And there's two forms of income. One satisfaction, the other is money. It's a material thing. But I said, if you're not getting satisfaction from what you do, you should quit it. Because I said, that's where it comes in. That's why we should figure out what we love to do and then dedicate our life to it. I got into this business. I had been studying it for quite a while. And I had the opportunity, I already mentioned, of visiting Earl Nightingale in 1966. And I was leaving his office right at the end. And I said, Earl, what is the big deal in life? Well, he said, there isn't any big deal, Bob. He said... It's simply a matter of sitting and figuring out what you love to do and then dedicate your life to it. So the problem with most people is they never figure out what they love to do. Well, I'm telling you, I could feel the hair going up in the back of my neck. I knew exactly what I'd love to do. I would love to do what he was doing, I was, and I wanted to do it with him. I had a very busy company at the time. We were operating in Canada, the U.S. and England. But I knew that I was finished doing that. I was going to come back. I was going to work with him. Two years later, I was his vice president of sales. I wanted to do in the, what he was doing, be in the business he was in. And that's where I made the decision. And I love it. I love what I do. Now, that's what people should be doing. What do I love to do? Then dedicate your life to it. Now, you earn money by providing service. You can earn money while you're sleeping. Just figure out how to serve people. You don't have to be there. You don't have to physically be there and do it. You can serve people while you're sleeping and get paid. And that's how you earn money. So you got to learn how to earn money. But that has got nothing to do with a life of living what you love. That's the first place. So if I was telling anybody, sit down, figure out what you love to do, and then make up your mind you're going to dedicate your life to it. What stops most people, what they love to do, they think you can't earn any money at it. That doesn't matter. Forget about the money. That's another subject. Figure out how to earn it. Go talk to people and know how to earn money. I know how to earn money. I can teach people how to earn money. But that is not the thing. It's to provide service. So the most important thing, what do I love to do? Sit down. What would I really love to do? How would I love to spend my life? That's what we should do. And unfortunately, most people never get involved in that exercise. Thank you, Bob. Yeah, no, I, I, I couldn't agree more, I think. You know, I was very fortunate when I was young to try out so many things and experiment and explore and experience so many things that it becomes more obvious what you love when you've allowed yourself to try your hand at many things because it's the same. I always say it's the same as finding what's your favorite food that you love. You have to try more foods to know which is your favorite food. And it's the same with activity and, and work in life. We have to try out lots of things. What gave you the confidence when you wrote your book, you were born rich. Mm -hmm. Tell me about that title. Tell me about that confidence, that conviction of telling people that they were born rich. Where does that, where does that come from? What does that mean? I think it comes from awareness. It's funny you mention it because almost everybody tried to talk me out of it. You don't know, but you can't teach that. And 
Well, the truth is everyone is born rich. We are born with deep reservoirs of talent and ability within us. We're born rich. Most people are just short of money. The riches are in the talents and the abilities that we've got within us. I'd argue with a lot of people to keep that name, but I just made up my mind. It's the truth. You were born rich. That's all there is to it. The funny thing about the book, you know, I, I don't type. I can type on this computer to get online, but to type a letter, man, it would take me a long time. So I wrote the whole book by hand. And something I learned about paper, paper swells when it gets old. It swells. Well, I had a file that was about that thick. It was the book. And I had finished it. And it was in a big file folder. And I was in a cab and I left it in a taxi. And I couldn't tell you the color of the taxi, let alone the name or the number of it. And I didn't have anything on it. That was the end of the book. And I remember telling my wife, she said, well, how come you're not upset? I said, Linda, it's so bad, it's got to be really good. You can't have something that's really bad that isn't really good. It's the opposite side of the same thing. I said, the book probably wasn't any good. So I started, I wrote it over again, you know. And uh, it's turned out that it must be pretty good. A lot of people have read it, you know. That's incredible. Yeah, that's awesome. I love that story. Bob, you've been so generous with your time today. Uh, we end every interview with what I call the final five. This is the fast five. Each answer has to be one word to one sentence maximum uh, for these five questions. So if you're ready, I'm, I'm ready to go. go okay, question one. What's the best piece of advice you ever received? Study every day. Second question. What's the worst piece of advice you've ever received? Don't trust people. Mm. Great. Awesome. Thank you. Question number three. What's something that you know to be true, but that other people might disagree with you on? So what's something you're quite confident about, but other people may not quite understand? There's greatness within every human being. Mm. I'd like to qualify that too. Yeah, please. I, I went into... Kingston Penitentiary in Canada was maximum security. It's closed now. I guess it was something like Alcatraz. I went in there one Saturday a month for five years. And I was told by security and everybody else, you can't let everybody come to me. And I said, listen, if I'm coming in to speak, everybody comes that wants to come. Mm. And I saw some real bad people. They were classified as real bad people. I saw them change right around because I taught them all the same thing. I had one that was in solitary confinement for seven and a half years when I first met him. He had wow. been sentenced to 27 years. Do you know that man got out on a parole with me? And a, I had the Canadian government tear up his parole about two years later, and it was a seven-year parole, and give him his passport so he could move to England with me. And that was my positive proof because he was considered a real bad guy. That's amazing. Yeah. And so I really believe there's greatness in every one of us. There's goodness in every one of us. And when we really understand that, that's what we're going to look for in people. I love that. I love that. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing that story. Uh, question number four out of five. Uh, what's something you wish you knew earlier? I wished I knew the value of studying earlier. Oh, how I wished I had known that. I was 26. I was a terrible student. I hated school. I wouldn't listen to the teachers. I wouldn't read <laughs> the books. I wouldn't do anything anybody told me. 
I was undisciplined. I thought I was a smart guy. I was just so dumb. And I was down, going down the wrong path. And like that, when I met Ray Stanford and he gave me this and he talked to me, I started to study. I love it. Now, I thought when I started, I was fairly old. I was 26. Now I'm 86. I'll be 87 in July. Now I realize how young I was, how fortunate I was. But even with that awareness, I still wished I had started to study at a very early age. It's beautiful. Thank you. And fifth and final question, Bob, if you could create one law that everyone in the world had to follow, what would it be? You know, there's a, a, a chapter in a book that I read. I love it. It's called The Science of Getting Rich by Waddles. It's chapter 14. Leave everyone with the impression of increase. I love that. That's great. We've Ca never... Cause everybody to feel better because you've been there. Leave everyone with the impression of increase. That is a brilliant law. We've never had that. I love that answer. That is such a brilliant answer. Everyone, that is Bob Proctor. Please go and follow Bob on YouTube, on Instagram, on Facebook, on all the social media platforms. Uh, Bob, it has been such a joy speaking with you today. And I've gained so much depth and insight, reassurance from so many of the things you've said. Uh, is there a last message that you want to leave our viewers with and our listeners with that you feel you want to share with them? No, I, I just want to say how much I've enjoyed this interview. I mean, you you really good at this. I really enjoy this, Jay. And uh, you ask such good questions. You're obviously a great student. I just thoroughly enjoy this. And so I would recommend, if I could leave anybody with them, whoever you're, you are watching this, encourage them to watch Jay's podcast. <laughs> uh, well, listen, this is so important. If I'm one person coming on here sharing this, you bring other people on that have good information. Share this. Get your friends to watch this. This is how things spread. It's share good news. And that's what I see you're involved with, Jay. And I, uh, I want to thank you for inviting me. And I really enjoyed being here. It's been my pleasure. Well, thank you, Bob. It's, it's been an honor for me. And I look forward to meeting you in person one day, hopefully soon. And everyone who's been watching, let's take Bob's advice. Make sure you tag me and Bob on Instagram and Twitter. Let us know what resonated. What are the insights? What is the habit that you're going to practice tomorrow because of this interview that you heard? I love seeing your feedback. I love seeing what resonated with you. Again, Bob, thank you so much for your time. I, I truly learned so much and Jay. I can't wait to see what they learn. Thank you for having thank me. You. Thank you, Bob. Thank you, everyone who's been listening or watching. Uh, we'll see you again for our next episode of On Purpose. Thank you. Thank you.